This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. On Money Talks, we discuss money news and take your questions about personal finance. For 15 years, we've provided free financial information for Mississippians. I hope you can join me, Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, co-host of Money Talks, Tuesdays at 9 a.m. or anytime on our podcast. Welcome to In Legal Terms from MPB Think Radio. It's the show all about you and your rights. Our host is Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Liz Gill. Professor Gershon, I hope the beginning of school year has gone all right for you. It's been great, Liz. It's always good to have the students back. I think, you know, the campus is much more vibrant when uh, when the students are back. So uh, really happy to be back in classes and hope your weekend went well and by the way, it's never a bad day to talk about estate planning. So I'm thrilled that we have attorney Samantha Moore of Butler Snow, who's going to join us today to talk about estate planning. And we may even throw in some tax, uh, if you're lucky. Um, and attorney Moore, good, good morning. Would you please tell us a little bit about your background and how did you get interested in estate planning? Good morning. I'm I'm so excited to be here first. So thank you guys very, very much. Um, this is my very first time on the radio. I know. I'm, I'm a little blown away. I'm sitting in a studio. I'm, it's, it's like something off a of television. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you. I, I got interested in estate planning. I really, I've, I've been thinking about it because I knew this was going to be a question. Um, and, and the truth is, it was, it was more an interest in tax that sort of drove me into estate planning. And this is a true story. When I was a little kid, I was a chubby little kid, and both of my parents were very active, and so they were looking for ways to make me active, and so there was a walking park. I'm from Wiggins, Mississippi, down in South Mississippi, and so we would go every night. My dad would run, and my mom would run, and I would walk, and they would pay me three cents for every lap that I made around the walking track, which is a quarter of a mile, if you're doing the math on it. And at the end of the week, if I had, it's about eight miles to get a dollar. So at the end of the week, they'd give me a dollar and I could go get ice cream because that's how much the ice cream cost at school. And so, and so this went on for a while. And of course, this was the 80s. And I, I asked my dad one day, my dad was in the military and he would iron his clothes at night, you know, his fatigues. And, and I made the mistake of going in and, you know, President Reagan had been on talking about taxes. And I went in and I said, Dad, you know, what what are taxes? And my dad kind of thoughtfully stared off in space for a minute. And he said, well, you know, taxes are what we pay the government to pay for roads and infrastructure. And he probably didn't say infrastructure because I was like four. But roads and, you know, um, the military, that's what pays my salary. And then I could tell he was trying to parlay this into something else. And he gets kind of like, your mom and I pay for your food and the house. And he goes, you know, you really should have some skin in the game. You should pay taxes. And he started charging me 30% of my dollar. <laughs> and that's not a joke. People think I'm kidding. That happened. And then it would take, it took me two weeks after that to get ice cream <laughs> at school. And so, and so that, that's the household that I was brought up in. And I feel like that really molded me from a pretty, pretty young age. And so I worked for CPA when I was in high school, wonderful CPA, still practicing in Wiggins. Um, and he, he worked on ESOP. 
plans, which is one of the first in the state. And I had no, I didn't know anything about ESOP plans, but I knew that it was novel and interesting and that a, a lawyer out of Los Angeles, California named Roland Attenborough, who had his LLM in tax, would call to talk about ESOP plans. And I would wait by the phone because that was my job was to answer the phones and clean the whatever else needed to be done, you know, but answering the phones when Roland called and and I thought, my gosh, there can't be anything more glamorous in life than being a tax lawyer. <laughs> and for those and of here us, we what, are. what are ESOP plans? ESOP plans are employee stock ownership plans. Oh, okay. so all right. That's that's what they are. It's not what I do. They're not glamorous at all. Um, <laughs> turns out, but but I followed the path and and it led me to estate planning. Um, so I went to tax school, loved it because I'm a huge nerd, obviously, and. Um, and the, the intersection, I think, of sort of the nerdy tax things and actually getting to interact with people and learn about them. And my favorite thing in life is is a story, right? It's it's people's stories. And I think that's I think that's what estate planning is kind of at its heart and, and I love it. And so here we are. Well, we have a couple of callers who have stories that we're gonna let you interact with. First let's go to Braxton and talk with George. George, we're glad you've called in this morning. What's your comment or question? Uh, thanks for taking my call. My uh, question is, uh, I guess a short story. My my father's still living. My mother passed a couple of years ago. It's my sister and I, and uh, my brother passed three or four years ago. Anyway, I want to, if you could point me in the right direction on one, whenever dad passes those assets, how to integrate that into my own, you know, whatever we have, to split. How do I acquire that and not pay a lot of taxes? Mm-hmm. I think that's a that's a great question, George. Um, and there are a lot of pieces to it. So, so first of all, when your father passes away, I guess one question would be, you know, does he have a will? Um, and no. if he does, you know, his his will is going to direct those assets. So if he says, I'll leave them all to George, they're, they're all yours. If they say, you know, 50-50 George and sister, that's that's how they go. If he doesn't have a will, those assets will pass via what we call intestate succession, which means there's no will. And so the Mississippi's law says, okay, well, if you don't have a will, here's how your assets pass. And and in that case, kind of from what you've told me, if your if your father's not remarried and and your brother is deceased, did did your brother and I'm and I'm sorry about your brother, but did did he have children? He does, yes. Okay, so um, so the the law of intestate succession will sort of distribute those assets among you know his children, you, and your sister. Um, So that's step one. Sorry, I was just thinking. I was I was thinking about step two. And then step two would be, you know, at that point, you know, figuring out what you wanted to do with those assets. Um, it, and it's, it's hard to kind of pre-plan. It's hard to sort of say, okay, well, here's what I want to do ahead of time. But I sort of encourage people to take it sort of one day at a time to say, I know this is what I have right now, and therefore this is what I'll plan. Um, plan for. Your... Sort of second part of that question is taxes. Um, so there's really two types of, of taxes that we think about in terms of estate planning. There are income taxes and there are estate taxes. As far as 
estate taxes, and some people call this the death tax or the inheritance tax. People call it all kinds of things. The same thing. It's the estate tax. Your father's estate will only have an estate tax issue if that estate, so if he passed away this year, everybody right now has an exemption of $12.92 million. We'll call it $13 million. So unless his estate is in excess of that amount or if he's given away in excess of that amount, you don't have to worry about estate taxes. For Mm. income tax purposes, when he passes away, there's no income tax hit. You don't. You don't have to pay any income taxes. Um, and in fact, anything that you inherit from your father gets what we call a basis step up. So uh, land is kind of the easiest example for this because lots of people in Mississippi, I think, have family land that they've inherited, you know, from their parents who inherited from their parents. Um, if you If you have an asset that you inherit, then on the day your father passes away, Whatever the fair market value of that asset is, so in other words, let's say we've got this family land that's been in the family forever and ever. The basis is probably next to nothing because nobody paid anything for it, and the last time it got a basis step up was probably on, um, probably on his his father's death, let's say, which was you know hopefully forever and ever ago, you know, generationally. Right. So, mm-hmm. so when your dad dies fair market value, basis step up. So if you turned around and sold everything that you inherited from your dad the day after he passed away, you wouldn't have any income tax um, because, of, because of just that that's the law. So, so I, don't, I don't think you'd have a concern there. The third thing to think about, and I'm, I'm, I'm skipping ahead a little bit. So I'm a trust and estate lawyer. Obviously, I love trust. I have an angle, you guys. Um, I'm not going to hide it. If, if a lot of times people come in and they say, okay, I've inherited an asset, usually it's land, not always, usually it's land, and they say, I've inherited this asset from my parents, and it's been in the family forever and ever, and, uh, and I have a spouse maybe, and I love them, gosh, I love them, but it's not, it's not their family land, so this should go to my kids. Hmm. And so you can, yeah, so in your will, you can say, which you should make a will in that case, because the law would say, if you're married and you have children, if you don't have a will, man, I'm jumping all over the place this morning. <laughs> if you don't have I'm a good. will. <laughs> perfect. Yeah. Good. The law says that that land, whatever you have, is divided in equal shares between your spouse and your children. So in other words, your spouse would get, so if you had two kids, let's say, your spouse would get a third and each of your children would get a third of whatever that is. And so if you said, no, I want that just to go to my kids, you need to make a will to say, hey, this, this asset, this land, this whatever that I've inherited, I want that to go directly to my children because this is family land or, or you know, whatever the case may be. So, so that's one thing. And then if you wanted to go a step further, if your children are minors, you can say, I'm going to put this in a trust for them, um, you know, until they're whatever age or, you know, forever or um, we have a rule against perpetuities in Mississippi that limits that, but for all intents and purposes, forever. Um, so, so you've got a lot of options, but I, I think you're probably in pretty good shape, George. Unless your I dad has now. thirteen million dollars, and if he does, <laughs> right. please contact the MPB Foundation. Uh, <laughs> but you know, George, just as a person, person, not a lawyer, person, we've had so many lawyers on here who have talked about. 
the problems when there aren't wills. So, uh, you know, right. if if you love your sister, you would encourage right. your dad to get a will so that you and your sister and your brother's children don't get into a fight. Uh, that's that's I'm my two saying. cents. Yes, ma'am. Thank you all so very much and, and very informative. I appreciate it. Thank you, George. Thank you, George. We're so glad you've called in. You can send us an email with your questions anytime. That address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. This is In Legal Terms. Now, not everybody has a chance to listen to our show live. If you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show from inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. Our host is Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Liz Gill. The Mississippi Bar has... Where there's a will, there's a way on their website, msbar.org. And I'll have that link to this on this show's information page. We're talking about wills and estates with attorney Samantha Moore from Butler Snow. It is our most popular show. And even though we did a will and estate show Two weeks ago, already our phone lines have uh, just busted up because this is Mississippi's chance to ask an attorney a question. It's also Louisiana, Alabama, Tennessee, and Arkansas's chance to ask a question, but it'll be Mississippi law. It's also glamorous. Oh, (laughs) very glamorous. Let's go to Ridgeland and talk with Dill. Dill, we're glad you've called in to In Legal Terms. What is your comment or question? Okay, I've got a question. I'm an attorney, and I've got a question about a small estate. And there's a provision in the code, Mississippi Code, under 91-7-322 for a affidavit, small, small estate affidavit. And my question is, it doesn't have a provision for notice to creditors or for uh, payment of debts of the deceased when you do a small estate affidavit. And I was wondering if if you all know anything about a requirement that you give notice to creditors of the deceased if you do a small estate affidavit. So I'm winging it on this one, Dill. I know the provision that you're talking about, and I can tell you what I've done. Um, <laughs> not to say that it's right, but this is certainly certainly what I've done. I'm not aware of there being a notice to creditors provision um, that goes along with the small estate affidavit. My understanding is, you know, the affidavit is, is kind of one and done. I think maybe your question's also, though, does that somehow foreclose a creditor from being able to come against those assets? And I, and I, I would not, I wouldn't think there would. You know, a creditor has a right to open an estate um, that, on its own. And so I would think that, that, that if there is a creditor out there, um, that they could still they could still bring a proceeding to open an estate so that for the purpose of filing their claim. Um, and I would think that if they did that, if you had, let's say, gone to a financial institution or a, a savings lender or whoever and used that small estate um, affidavit to transfer those funds, I think they probably could, you know, come back and be subject to creditors. That's my thought. Okay. I, I would totally right. agree. I totally agree with that. Yeah. Okay. And what if you've already distributed the assets to the successors, um, Using a small estate affidavit, could the creditors go against the successors that received the 
um, inheritance under the small estate affidavit? I'm not I'm not positive to the answer to that. It seems like they would file on the estate and then I would think that it would be on the executor to try to get those back. Um, if the executor had not been responsible for that affidavit, I wouldn't think that the executor could be held responsible in that case, but I do think they could probably try to get those assets back even though they had been distributed. Okay. All right. Yeah, so I think just the... Go ahead, I, Richard. I was just going to say, I think it, um, I, and I agree, with, I agree with Sam, I think, but I also think that, you know, it's really important that to always consider creditors, even in the smallest state affidavit, because they are there and they are entitled to be, you know, to be paid. And we usually think of paying creditors before we make distributions to beneficiaries, uh, you know, when, when possible. So, um, especially, you know, if you got known creditors, I would always factor them in. I hope that helps. Apparently there was, there was a revision in this statute um, in 2020 where it was in, the amount was increased to $75,000. And I think there was formally a provision in there for notice to creditors that it was removed in the 2020 revision. So I don't know if that was an right, oversight of the legislature. You know, I, I, you know, I can't speak to that. I would say, yes, uh, it has been increased, but I do think the prudent thing to do is to, is to make sure we at least factor in creditors, uh, of the estate. Um, I don't think that the, the legislation was intended, you know, to bypass creditors either uh, completely. So it was just, you know, an expedited process for a small estate. That's really all it was about. So um, that would be my, my thinking on it. Dill, we'll have contact information on the show for on the information page for this show if you would like to have more of a one on one. We're excited to have attorney Samantha Moore from Butler Snow on our show today. We we get questions from lay people, from attorneys. We've often uh, it's been suggested that this be a continuing education credit for attorneys who listen. So we're always excited that everyone who listens. We've got lots of calls to get to this morning. We're going to go to Louisville now and speak with Steve. Steve, we're glad you've called in today. What is your comment or question? Well, I've got one of each. My comment is that I happen to know from some uh, family experience that if you inherit from a tax-deferred IRA, you have to pay income tax on it. That's right. Yep. <laughs> <Because> <laughs> Sorry, my, Steve. <laughs> my, 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 niece, my niece and nephew got, got stung by that real bad because they didn't follow the advice of getting tax advice. My question is, if I have a fairly large um, checking account and I put someone on it is pay on death, do they have to pay income tax on that? So, so two things. One, Steve, I take your point because I was talking about basis step up and no tax, and, and you are exactly right. So there is an exception to that rule, and it is for IRAs. Um, and the reason for that exception is because if it's a tax-deferred IRA, Income tax have not, has not been paid on that money. And so anybody that inherits that is going to need to expect that they're going to have to pay. Um, they're going to have to pay the income tax on it, unfortunately. So, so yes, right. thank you. Thank you for pointing that out. You're exactly right. Um, your, your second, I think your question was about, you know, if you've got a fairly large account and you put somebody on it as a joint account holder, are they going to have to pay income tax on it? 
Um, and and the answer is all right. So I'm 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 going I'm I'm stretching because I know I've looked at this. So as far as um, so if you if you pass away and you've got a joint account holder, whoever that joint account holder is it inherits that that account. Period. So um, if Liz and I are joint account holders on on an account and it's got a million dollars in it, let's say. Uh-huh. And, and my will, right, I've got a will, and I say, you know what, I leave that um, the million dollars in that account to my kid, right? Well, it doesn't matter what my will says because Liz is a joint account holder, and the law says that that belongs to Liz when I die. Um, so, that, so that's one thing, and people forget that sometimes. They'll, they'll put their kids on an account as a joint account holder, um, not thinking that, that they've actually just given that to their children when they die. Um, you can always put somebody on there as a signatory instead of a joint account holder, which will give them check writing abilities, but not ownership. Um, so that's that's uh-huh. one thing to think about. But if I, when I die, um, you know, as far as income tax, so in other words, okay, so that that now becomes Liz's, um, unless unless Liz does something with it, you know, there's there's no consequence there. If you're if it's a if it's huge and you've got an estate tax issue. You've got to report your ownership percentage of that account on your state tax return. If that's an investment account, um, you know, that's holding appreciated stocks and bonds, that portion of it will get a basis step up um, that's considered to have been yours. And I'm stretching, and I think the rule is that it's, you know, whatever your whatever portion you contributed maybe is the portion that gets a step up. If it's joint, maybe with a spouse, it's 50-50, I think, is the rule. So I, I think uh-huh. that's how it works as far and 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 um, Richard can correct me because he's he's teaching a state right. and gift right now. But I think that's no, you're doing you're doing great. <laughs> <laughs> you hit it. You hit it exactly right. And this just proves that tax people are the coolest people. So we're, we're really glad to have this conversation. Obviously, <laughs> did that did that answer your question, Steve? Yes, I think so. Thank you very much. Okay, thank you. Well, a little twist on Steve's question. If if you, you and I you ha, you have an account, let's say you've got your million dollar account, you've right, got yes. you've got kids, but I'm your good friend. If can I, you put a pay on death to someone on that account without them being a signature or a joint account while you're alive? Yes, you can. A lot of people do that, um, and that's and that's one thing. I'm sure people probably want to talk about probate too. So. Sometimes people will, will put payable, some people call them payable on death, transfer on death. I'm going to be honest, I don't know the difference um, it, other than, you know, they're called different things. But essentially what that means is that institution is obligated, it's, it's a contract, to pay that account when you die to whoever is on on that um, payable on death or transfer on death form. Um, and they have to do it. And again, even if your will says, I want this account to go to my cat or whatever, it can't. It's got to go. It's got to go to whoever is the payable on death or transfer on death. And that's like a designated beneficiary on another account that passes outside of a will. Exactly. Like an insurance, um, an insurance policy or a retirement account. That's right. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Professor Richard Gershon is our expert host. I'm Liz Gill. Hey, we hope you find our podcast and subscribe to it. You can also find MPB Think Radio recordings on the website, mpbonline.org slash radio. We're talking about wills and estates with our guest, attorney Samantha Moore from Butler Snow. Now, you can get expert information from Facebook. 
sometimes. That is when you follow Butler Snow LLP. You can even get more information about the firm and about our guest from their website, butlersnow.com. We've got some phone calls, and let's go now to David in Horn Lake. David, thanks for holding, and thanks for calling. What's your comment or question? Uh, I don't have a will, and uh, the topic today's got me thinking whatnot. Anyway, I've got multiple accounts, two different uh, uh, IRA accounts, and i got some CDs, and... uh, uh, Different money scattered different places. My question to you is, do I have to go to each one of them places, to each one of the institutions, and get a beneficiary form or payable death thing, or can I just get one will and list each account and say that I want all my assets to go to, go to this person or that institution or for a charity or whatnot? So, David, I tell you, you can do either one of those things, and they both work. Um, I obviously am a in a trust estates wills person, so I, I like a will. Um, and you can handwrite a will, you know, in Mississippi. It, it can be completely in the handwriting of the testator. And you can list them all out, and you can say, here's where I want all these to go. Um, you can do that. If you do that, the will has to be probated for it to have legal effect. Um, and, and, you know, you'll hear different attorneys with different opinions. I, I, I do not mind the probate process. I don't think it's as onerous, I think, as, as it can be, certainly. It can be. Um, but, you know, for a, for a typical estate, I think it's, it's generally pretty smooth. It just t- it takes some time. Um, so you can do it that way. You'll have the oversight of a court watching over it to make sure that everything actually gets to where it's supposed to go. And so if there's any, if there's any contentiousness, Within a family, I like a will. I like a probate because I think I think when you get a chancellor looking over everybody's shoulder, everybody behaves a little bit better. Um, so, so I like it for for that reason. If nothing else, there's lots of reasons, but I I like it for that. Um, but you know, if you want to do the legwork and go around and put beneficiary designations on all those IRAs and CDs and and accounts, certainly you can. Um, it's a lot of work. If you want to change your mind, you got to do it again. You know, that's the downside. Um, and I'll also say, David, you may be the most organized person in the state of Mississippi. I bet you are. But inevitably, somebody forgets something. And I can't tell you, I, real true life story, I replied to a woman this morning from London, a solicitor, saying, hey, um, but she said it with a British accent. Hey, we've got an account, you know, we've got a, somebody died over here and we've just finished probating or, you know, Scottish rights, whatever they call it, doing the probate in the UK. And, you know, turns out they've got $116,000 sitting in an account in Mississippi and we're going to have to do a probate on it. So, um, unfortunately, that's too big for the small estate affidavit. And we're going to have to do a full probate now in, in Mississippi for this account. So, all that to say, if you forget one, you're going to need a will anyway to say where you need that to go. So I, I always kind of encourage people, even if you're going to try to avoid a probate, please do a will just to belt and suspenders everything just in case you forget something. Okay, thank you. Yes, sir. Thanks, David. Yeah, a true life story. Uh, a lady passed away and had put beneficiaries on everything, but 
Well, this IRA account was worth more than this life insurance account, and this was worth more, and she got more than this and didn't have a will at all, and then come to find out, then there's $70,000 in the account that didn't get transferred over when she got mad at this person. So now a small estate will need, uh, what do you call it, a small estate uh, affidavit. affidavit will need to be filed Anyway, so it's always good to talk to a professional and not try to do it yourself. Let's go to Biloxi and speak with Craig. Craig, we're so glad you've called in today. We've got attorney Samantha Moore. We are doing wills and estates. What's your comment or question? I was wondering the basic parameters for filing and contesting a will. I don't have anything specific in mind. Sure. So um, there are two. There are two types of. So assuming assuming that a probate is is in process, um, you have two years from the date that a will is filed to contest the will. Um, if if there's a if the probate is being done in what's called common form, um, which is a, a much more informal process, I I would say I think I've only done two solemn forms ever in my career solemn form um so so basically if you're in common form it's a not all of the beneficiaries are noticed so in other words it's a it's a much less formal proceeding um and in common form you have two years to contest that will and solemn form when the will is being probated it's it's a different ball game because everybody is being noticed for everything so by the time you get to the end you really don't have an excuse to have not made your complaint Known. Um, so at the end of a solemn form probate, it's it's over, case closed, um, and I'm sure it can be open for some reason, but I've I've never seen it done. So so that's that's kind of the will contest. If you're going to contest a will, um, you need a separate lawyer. So the lawyer who's handling the estate does not represent you. The lawyer who's handling the estate represents the estate. Um, and, and there's case law out there. Do you represent the estate? Do you represent the executor? It goes both ways, believe it or not, in Mississippi. But inevitably, you don't necessarily represent a beneficiary. So if you're a beneficiary and you want to contest a will, you need your own lawyer um, to, to, bring that, to bring that action. So um, did that answer your question? Well, yeah, there's, there's a lot of information there that, that I didn't know. To begin with, there was, there was two different types of probate that I had no idea there was, there was two Okay, that's, that's a uh, thank you. Thank you, Craig. And, and can I just weigh in that most people, if they're going to be a contest, it's probably going to be for the fact that the person didn't have capacity to make a will or that there's undue influence. So those are the kind of the, what most of the contests are about. And you got to prove those things, typically. I mean, so um, you can't just be dissatisfied with what you're getting. That's not enough. Let's go to Jim in Jackson. Jim, we're glad you've called in to In Legal Terms today. We've got attorney Samantha Moore from Butler Snow on. What's your comment or question? Well, good morning. I was going to ask a question about a holographic will, but I think you already answered that. But I've really called in to say that um, I'm originally from the coast, and I used to practice law with Sam and before I retired. And uh, she is a terrific, terrific smart lawyer and an even better person and i miss seeing her around the office 
Jim, I miss you too, man. Thanks for calling. It's so good to hear your voice. You too. I'm so glad to hear you on the radio. I miss you. Lunch was my uh, Jim was my lunch buddy for years. We would sit in the commons of Butler Snow and have lunch together. Well, thank you for calling in and uh, bucking up our guest. <laughs> Let's he go. Deserves every word of it. Trust me. Oh, thanks, Jim. Let's go. Yeah, you you mentioned hol- holographic isn't uh, a hologram. It's a uh, that's right. Holographic is completely in the handwriting of the of the person making the will, the testator. That's right. And and you you can do that. And do you you need to have a, a witness or if it's holographic, you do not need a witness. It's just got to be completely in your handwriting. If it is not completely in your handwriting, so in other words, a lot of people will get on their word processors, you know, I say word processor, their computers, <laughs> a lot of people get on their computers, and um, and they'll type out a will, and they'll sign it, but they don't have witnesses. Not valid. If it's not entirely in your hand, you got to have witnesses, two witnesses. If it is entirely in your hand, you don't have to have witnesses. All right. I always like a witness. You know, it's always nice to have a couple, but not required. So I uh, hope George's dad writes out a will and and make sure you tell somebody where it is. That's right. Don't put it in the safe deposit box if nobody can get in the safe deposit box. Let's go to Madison and talk with Terry. Uh, Terry, thanks for calling in to In Legal Terms. What's your comment or question? Well, I've, thank you for taking my call. Um, my husband and I made out wills several years ago and some and through a, a lawyer's office and some of our wishes have changed since then, and we we went back, you know, a few years ago, we went back and we um, just sat down at the house and went through what they had, you know, established, and we marked out with pens and things what we wanted to change and dated it accordingly. And my question is... You know, we've not gotten around to going back and officially getting this changed. Will, if something happens to us, will this, will the way we have changed it apply? So it sounds like, I'm I'm making some assumptions, but it sounds Mm -hmm. like the document that you started with, I'm assuming, was a typed, typed document. Yes. And so you guys hand wrote your changes onto that document. Correct. And dated it and, you know, all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, my thought, which is, which is just that, I'm winging this one, is that you would have to actually, <laughs> you would have to actually execute it in the form, because this is kind of what we just talked, talked about. So in other words, the whole thing is not in your handwriting. So I think okay. that if you... You know, date the changes and execute the document with two witnesses. I always like to do a proof of will, which is where you get your witnesses' signatures notarized. I think that that probably, and again, I'm going to give a, I'm going to give my disclaimer here. This is not legal advice, right? But I no, think generally that. Um, that 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 would probably constitute a valid will. Um. I think it probably would if you if you executed it in the nature of a non-holographic will. I think it would probably be a great idea to avoid all confusion in the future to probably, when, when you guys are sure of the changes that you want to make, probably go back and get that thing 
you know, redone to incorporate everything. Yes, and, and that's our intent. But, you know, it's easy to put that kind of stuff off. So You mean it's not the most fun you've ever had? I can't believe it. <laughs> you know, you know. Um. Sure. But I but I think it's I think you're I think you're probably okay. And the other thing is, I mean, yeah, so so yes, we always play in because we don't want a will contest. And if we have a will contest, which happens, you want your will to stand up. Um but sometimes and it always surprises me, but this but it's true, sometimes people people look at a document that maybe is not legally enforceable. And they can see that it's, you know, written by mom and dad, that mom and dad spent some time on it. And they go, you know what? This isn't legally enforceable. And I could really take my sister to the cleaners here, but I'm not going to do that because it's clear what mom and dad wanted. And they do the right Right. thing. Um, Yeah. So, but all that to say, I wouldn't rely on people doing the right thing, even though people are wonderful. I would I would execute it in the same nature as a non-holographic will. Get witnesses. um, Get those signatures notarized if you can. <laughs> okay. Thank you so very much. And where do you, to get the the two extra signatures or whatever on there? Um, where do we go to do that? You can just get witnesses. They don't have to be. Um, I mean, as long as they're over the age of eighteen. I think you know. I don't. I don't think. I have nothing against felons, but I think there's a rule about you know you can't you can't have been a felon <laughs> no, or something no, like that. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, but but you know, just get get two. You know, I, a lot of people go to the bank. They'll grab bankers. People, sure. bankers sure. love to witness wills. So, sure, sure. Okay, sounds sounds good. Thank, Thank you, you Terry. So very much. I appreciate you taking my call. Thank you. Thank you, Terry. We're glad to have you call in from Madison. Hey, don't forget, you can send us your email questions to our address, legalterms at mpbonline.org. Thank you for being part of In Legal Terms. Now, if you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show on the MPB Think Radio YouTube channel. Our host is Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Liz Gill. So at 11 a.m. Central on Tuesdays, following our Oprah the Air broadcast, you can hear Southern Remedies, Relatively Speaking, with Dr. Susan Buttress on MPB Think Radio. So if you are still wondering why you need a will, you should read why you need a will on Mississippi Legal Services website. That's mslegalservices.org, a guide to free civil legal services for low-income persons and seniors in Mississippi. And I always have that link to the things we discuss on our podcast information. We're talking with attorney Samantha Moore from Butler Snow about estates. Um, Sam, we did get an email. This is uh, a, a man and his wife have been married for over 20 years. The kids are all grown and moved out. The wife's mom passed away and had a house, and he and the wife moved into it. The deed is in the wife's mom's name, the wife's sister and stepdad. So wife isn't on it, husband isn't on it, but husband and wife have been paying the taxes. Uh, if if the wife passes away, what what will happen to this house, even though husband and wife have been paying taxes the whole time? Mm-hmm. So so this is this is one of those um, this is one of those tricky ones. Sometimes sometimes we have 
land that's been passed through families generation after generation and through whatever, you know, process they're ready to sell it. And I, I have spreadsheets um, on on my computer to try to figure out ownership of of some of these these parcels of land. And sometimes they get so complicated that, that another lawyer will also do it and I'll do it and we'll work independently and see if we come up with the same answers just to just for good measure. But this is one of those cases where as I understand the facts, it sounds like mom passed away married with two children. And and I'm assuming, because because our, our emailer didn't mention it, that there was no will. And so and so assuming those facts, I would think that step stepdad, in this case husband, and sister and wife would legally, even though even though the deed is still in mom's name, by law, I think those are your three owners of that property. And so and so I think that, that wife has a third ownership interest. Um, and I think I think that, you know, wife and husband have been living in the house and paying on it. I think if wife passes away, I'm sure that she has done a will and I'm sure it's really well done. And I'm sure that she leaves all of her interests directly to husband, in which case he will have a one third interest in that house. But I, I would, if I were, if I were husband, I would try to clean that up, um, I, I, and the sooner the better. Before we have to make a spreadsheet, you know, at some point in the future and figure out ownership. And so, you know, it could be just as easy as saying, "Hey, stepdad, hey, sister, look, we've been living in the house, we've been paying all the taxes on it. Y'all legally own it. Can you quit claim this to us?" Um, and they may say yes, of course, and and they might say no, which is a different situation. Um, we'll keep our fingers crossed that they'll say, yes, of course, we'd love to. But, you know, if they say no, then you've got the, all right, well, here's the value of the house, and we've been paying the taxes, and, and it and it turns into a, a little bit of a hairier issue. But that's where I would start. Thanks. And we'll, we'll let that emailer know that we talked about that question. Um, we have talked quite a lot before about trusts. I don't even. We we have another email. Uh, we can't. That would, that would take another couple of hours. But just first off, if you wanted to set up a trust or you wanted to write a will, we mentioned a little bit about a holographic, which just means handwriting will. How do you set up a trust in a will? So a trust that's set up in a will, we call a testamentary trust. Um, because they are done in your last will and testament. And so we'll, we'll see these for a bunch of reasons. We could go into all of them, but mostly we see them for kids, right, for children, um, particularly minors. And if we if we have a special needs person, you know, we'll set up a testamentary trust under there for, for that person. Um, if there's family assets, again, you do a trust. If there's If you have Kids who are doctors, lawyers, CPAs, engineers, carrying liability insurance will set up a trust to keep that sort of outside in case they get sued, It'll, some asset protection. But um, you set it up by saying in the will, I leave whatever assets, I leave my assets, let's just say we've got children, minor children, I leave my assets to, I'll actually tell you what my will says, I leave my assets to, um, you know, the Samantha Rayburn Moore Family Trust under Article 6, Right. And then, and then, and let's say that's Article Two because Article One obviously names my family, and Article Two says here, here goes my stuff. Article Three and Four, 
very wonderful and important legalese about taxes and administrative expenses. And then you get down eventually to Article 6, which sets up the trust. Um, and that's where we say, okay, here's the trustee, um, you know, my whoever. It can, and it can be an individual. It can be a bank or a trust company. It's just personal preference, and it depends on your family and and those relationships. And then within that, you say, okay, the trustee can make distributions to my kids for health education, maintenance, and support, or the trustee can make distributions to my kids only if they have a job and we're going to match their W-2, or you know what, I don't care, just give it to them for whatever. And so you can say whatever you want to say in that trust. And you can say, and then when they hit the age of 25, they get a third, and 30, they get another third, and then, you know, 35, they get the rest. Or you can say, I, mean, I want it to stay in trust forever because I don't trust these kids, or I want it to stay in trust forever because they're great kids, and I just want it protected for asset protection purposes. Um, it can say anything you want it to say. It's all about how much control do you want to have after you've gone. And, you know, some people might not care at all, and so they don't bother doing anything. That's but- right then that leads to siblings hating each other and getting into fights. <laughs> Thank you, Samantha Moore. Yes, that's wonderful. Thank you, guys. Butler Snow. First time, hit it out of the park. That's you just so did fun. a great job. Glamorous. <laughs> <laughs> that's going to wrap us up for today's In Legal Team. Our team consists of our board engineer and podcast producer, Abram Nanny, and Jermaine Flood was our call screener. So for Professor Richard Gershon, who hosts from the University of Mississippi School of Law, I'm Liz Gill. Join us next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Central for In Legal Terms on Bibby Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.